It's good to be with you all. I uh, appreciate your pastor, Pastor Tim, and I've known him for a while, a couple of years now, not that long. Uh, I was here at the ordination service and uh, have worshiped with you a couple of times, and it's a privilege to be with you to open up the Word of God as he has an opportunity to get out of town and get a little bit of rest and relaxation. It's also good to be in a church with kids when they're making crying noises, isn't it? Yeah, can you imagine what the early church must have been like with kids and no sound panels or anything like that? And, uh, but it's a wonderful thing to have kids' life as we look into God's holy word. Well, we are continuing in the series that was started, Living Faith. And as we continue in that series this morning, I want you to know it really is a privilege to be able to look into the book of Hebrews. And from what I understand, the whole focus here is, is understanding the, the history of the Old Testament through New Testament eyes. In other words, looking at Old Testament characters and seeing how they point us to faith in Christ. And what an opportunity that is to do that in the book of Hebrews. And so what I want to do this morning is uh, I'm going to be talking with you about Noah and his faith. And I've entitled this sermon, The Radical Faith of Noah. Uh, Noah and the, radical, the radicalness of faith. Do you, have you ever thought about that? That faith really is a radical thing. So that's what we want to talk about this morning. I want to read to you from God's Word, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 through 7. Now, you've already had those preached on, haven't you? Uh, uh, one through six at any rate, but I'm going to read them again, and then we'll focus our time on Hebrews 11, verse 7. Here it is. This is God's holy word. Under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the apostle says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And then this key definitive verse, and without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now, our focus for today, Noah, verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Now I want to read that verse again in two different translations, all right? Uh, the New Living Translations, Hebrews eleven seven says, It was by faith that Noah built a large boat to save his family from the flood. He obeyed God, who warned him about things that had never happened before. That's crucial. I love the way it puts it. By his faith, Noah condemned the rest of the world, and he received the righteousness that comes through faith. All right, here it is from the Good News translation. Uh, it was faith that made Noah hear God's warnings about things in the future that he could not see. He obeyed God and built a boat in which he and his family were saved. As a result, the world was condemned, and Noah received from God the righteousness 
That comes from faith. This is God's holy word. And the word of God is powerful in and of itself, isn't it? Uh, and and how, how powerful it is as we look at Noah uh, and Noah's faith in, in this text, verses 11, verse 7. If you've been a Christian for a long time, and how many, I, I've been a Christian since the time of the Apostle Paul. I want you to know. I, I know I look old. I've been there. I've been around the block. Uh, this is what the ministry does to you. I want you to know. Uh, but the reality is, the longer you walk with Christ, the, the easier it is to forget the radical nature of Christian faith and how easy it is for us to think that it's really not that big a deal. You know, just trust, trust God. We say it all the time. Just have faith. Just trust God. And have, but faith is really, really amazingly challenging. And Noah's faith was particularly radical. And as we look at that today, I want us to keep in mind uh, uh, how radical it is. Now, I know most of you are, are Christians, you, you're followers of Christ, but it's very possible that you got brought here today, and I don't know all of you, so it's possible that somebody brought you here today and you're not a Christian. We're glad you're here. You know, you, got, you came kicking and screaming for some reason, but you're here. And you've, you may have had problems with Christianity because of this whole faith thing. You're thinking, what is faith anyway? Is faith legitimate? Uh, and uh, you're wondering how that relates to uh, understanding God. We're glad you're here, uh, but all of us, those of us who have been followers of Christ and those who are not yet followers of Christ, we need to hear this message because faith is so important to the Christian life. Now, in one verse, it's powerful there's so much packed in there. In fact, there's three major messages in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. And so, you know, amazingly, I've got three points for you here today. All right? There's three messages, three points. I want to talk about what faith in God really is, what faith conveys to unbelievers, but what then faith means to us as believers. You ready? All right, here we go. Let's jump into this. Number one, what faith in God really is, verse 7a. I want you to focus on that with me. This is my longest point today out of just these verses. Here we go. By faith, Noah. Would you say that with me? By faith, Noah. Okay, one more time. Ready? By faith, Noah. By faith, Noah did what? He built a gargantuan boat, didn't he? I mean, and this boat was huge. There's a replica of this boat someplace in the United States today. I don't know where it is, off of the East Coast or someplace. A guy has built a replica of the ark, but it was absolutely phenomenally huge. And he built that boat to save the human race, to save his family in particular, and was all done by faith, which takes us back to verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 11. This is so crucial. I love how it gives this definition of faith in Hebrews 11 verse 1. Faith is, is the assurance of, these, of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Did you catch that? Faith is assurance and it's conviction. And so as Christians, when we talk about faith and when we think about what faith is, faith is not a weak thing, is it? Faith is a strong thing. Uh, because, and I have unbelieving friends who say, what do you Christians mean when you talk about faith? You know, and, and there are some Christians, I asked a bunch of Christians this one time. I said, how do you define faith? You know what they actually said? I'm embarrassed by this answer. They said, 
Faith is believing those things that you know aren't, isn't true. What? I said, what? I was in a small group Bible study. And I said, what's faith? Faith is believing those things that you know aren't true. Oh, really? Is that what it is? See, some people have this idea that faith is taking this existential leap into the darkness. It's closing my eyes, hoping my new friend in the front row is young enough and strong enough to catch me. That's crazy. I, he's young enough, but is he strong enough? Is he willing? Does he even know I'm going to jump? Faith, some people have this idea of faith as being an absolutely wacko thing. It's foolishness. That's not biblical faith. Sometimes Christians are criticized at believing in pie in the sky by and by, right? You Christians, what you believe is absolutely crazy. And um, sometimes it's wishful thinking. Sometimes they think we believe in those things that we're not sure is true, but we're just hoping is true. But the reality is, as I think of my non-Christian friends, as they talk about truth, so I've, I've heard them say things like, you know, truth is relative. Have you heard this before? Truth is relative. You believe whatever you want to believe, and whatever, if you believe it hard enough, then it's what? It must be true if you believe it hard enough. Really? Really? I, that's wishful thinking, isn't it? Because if I believe I am a bodybuilder, do I look, do I look like a bodybuilder? I work out, but do I look? No. But I believe it deep in my heart. I am a world-class bodybuilder. I hope it. I believe it. I think it. So you know what I'm going to do? Because I believe it, I'm going to enter into a Mr. America contest. Would you suggest I do that? No. Thank you for your honesty. I appreciate that. No. So, so the reality is some people uh, who are not Christians say, well, you know, truth is relative. You just believe what you want to believe. And if you believe it hard enough, it's true for you. And therefore, that's all that's necessary. That's wishful thinking. But it's not Christian faith. Christian faith has conviction and assurance at a deep, deep level. And Noah models that deep, deep level of conviction and assurance. Uh, and by the way, you can read this, this account of, of Noah and the ark in Genesis 6 through 8. Isn't that a powerful text? Uh, in fact, I encourage you to do that. Go home today, and when you have a little time before the football games come on, uh, uh, read Genesis 6 through 8. It's a dramatic story, and, uh, and you know it. By the way, and this is important to understand, for those people who call the Noahic story a myth, every ancient civilization has a flood story. All ancient civilizations have a flood. The, Sumerian, the Sumerians have a flood story. The Akkadians, ever heard of Akkadians? I have not you've heard of them, good for you. I have, never, I have never met an Akkadian, they don't exist anymore. The Babylonians, the ancient Greeks, all ancient cultures have a flood story. Why? Because it comes from the one true biblical historical uh, account of the flood. This is not myth, it's history. Uh, and Jesus treated it in history, and the gospel writers treated it in history. But, but, but let me give you a summary of the Noahic account and why it's all, what's going on. The reality is, is that 
as you read Genesis 6 through 8, what had happened is that the population after creation had grown extensively, explosively, so that the population was growing over the earth. But that population moved rapidly away from faith in God, from walking close to God. They knew there was a creator, but they denied that, and they walked away. They lived in rebellion against the God of the universe, so that it says that people's hearts were always wicked and evil, and God knew it. As he looked at their hearts, he saw them. They were wicked, and and yet it says this, Noah was righteous. He wasn't perfect, but he was righteous. He was pleasing to God. Uh, And so he lived in a way that was righteous and pleasing to God. But because most people were living without a a connection to the God of the universe who is holy, what did God determine to do? God determined to discipline, to judge an unrighteous world by cleansing it of their sin. And so the flood was the methodology he was going to do that to bring a punishment upon those who were rebellious against him. God determined, however, to save Noah. And in saving Noah and his family, he would preserve the human race. Uh, so this is the, that's the, in, 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 in a nutshell, that's the, the, the flood story. But let me ask you some questions about it. Are you ready? I need some help on this. Let me ask you some questions about Noah and the flood. Did Noah, before the flood, know what rain is? Answer? Before the flood, he didn't know what rain is because before that time, the earth was was watered by a mist that would come out of the ground. There was no widespread rain as we see it today. Uh, Did Noah know what rain was? No. Did Noah know, therefore, what a flood was? And everybody says, of course not. If he doesn't know what rain is, he doesn't know what a flood is. Did he, had he ever seen a boat this big before? Now, there probably were boats. He may have made a small boat for rivers or for some small lakes that were nearby. We don't know. We know he was in the ancient Near East, and we know there was a lot of desert out there too. But the reality is, is that as we see Noah's radical faith, Because he'd never seen rain, he'd never seen flood, and he'd never seen a boat that big. And yet when God said, build the boat, what did he do? He started to do it. He started to do it. That is radical. If I was in that situation, I don't think I would do something like that. Never seen rain, never seen a flood, never seen a boat that big. And and if you came up, Sean, I love you, man. But if you came up and said, I want you to build a boat that big, I'd say, thank you, brother. I'll see you later. I'm not going to do it. But, but it raises the question, brothers and sisters, what is faith? And William Barclay says this, faith is taking God at his word. Faith is simply taking God at his word. It is a deep-seated conviction that what God says ought to be believed and understood and applied in our life. So that's faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. This is why faith is so strong, such a big part of the Christian's life. It is internal, deep-seated conviction and trust in who, ladies and gentlemen? In God, not in ourselves. Now, let me give you an illustration of, of, of faith. I want to try to drive that home a little bit deeper uh, by speaking about a friend of mine by the name of Greg. Greg, 
Greg, I've known Greg for 30 years. He's on my leadership team at Forge. He was in our leadership in our church for years and years. I baptized all of his children. Uh, we're great friends. But one thing I learned about Greg, he's big old tall, president of a company here in town, but he juggles. Anybody juggle here? Anybody know how to juggle? Okay, don't know how to juggle. Greg, when I first met him, picked up some balls and started juggling. I go, man, you're a salesman, a success, and he's juggling. And uh, it was kind of cool seeing the, you know, seeing the juggling. And uh, then, um, but he can also juggle basketballs. So three basketballs. I can't do that. You can't do that. Nobody's here can juggle, right? All right. If I brought Greg here and I said, Greg, would you juggle uh, three basketballs right here? And he did it and then sat down. And then I said to you, all right, do you guys believe that Greg can juggle three basketballs, what would you say? Yeah, but would that be faith? No, why, why would it not be faith? Because you've just seen him do it. It's evidence. You've had evidence that he, it's not faith. Now, if I, if I said to you, um, uh, do you think that Greg, having seen him juggle three balls, he could juggle those pins? You know those pins that jugglers juggle? Do you think that Greg could juggle those pins? What would you say? Yeah, I have, yeah, I have faith. You might say, I have faith that he could do that because I've seen him do it with three small balls and three basketballs, right? And that would be, in a sense, faith, right? It would be a trust that he could do the pins because he did the balls. Now, what if I asked you, do you think that Greg could juggle three chainsaws powered on, fully running? How many of you would have faith that my friend Greg could do that? You'd never seen him do it before, but it would be faith, wouldn't it? Now, let me ask you this. If you, some of you would say, nope, I don't know anybody stupid enough to juggle chainsaws. I've seen it done on TV, by the way. I found somebody who was stupid enough to do, actually. So, so um, if, if, if you say, yes, I believe that Greg could, ch could do those chainsaws, that's, that would be faith, wouldn't it? Because you'd never seen him. Now, let me ask you this, though. What would be the basis of you saying, I believe that Greg could juggle chainsaws. What would be the basis of that? I mean, you only saw him juggle three basketballs. Is it enough? Have you seen him juggle enough to have faith that he could do chainsaws? Probably not. Let me tell you this. I, I've seen him juggle for 30 years, and I don't have faith that he could juggle chainsaws. In fact, I was talking to him about this the other day, and, I, and he says, I don't have faith that I could juggle chainsaws. But Noah, if, let me back up. If you had faith that my friend Greg could juggle chainsaws, it would only be because you'd seen him for a long period of time juggling just about everything under the sun and believed that he could do it. Noah knew God. You know, we don't find much in the scriptures about Noah's developing relationship with God but the text tells us he knew God. He knew God so deeply that when God asked him to do something that had never been seen before, 
that he had never seen before, that he had no concept about, Noah to God said, yes. Brothers and sisters, that's faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, and it's based on the reality of a God who is much, much bigger than we are, much, much bigger than we will ever imagine. That's why faith is absolutely radical. It comes from a deep, deep knowledge of God. It comes from experiential knowledge of who God is. It goes into the head, into the heart, and out in our actions. Faith is never something that's just cerebral. It affects, it works into our life so that when Noah was asked, he said, yes, that is Christian faith. It is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, and it's completely dependent upon a God who is and who is bigger than we could ever imagine, high and holy and lifted up. And brothers and sisters, the only proper view of God is to have this incredibly high view of God. He's bigger than we could ever imagine. That's why we can trust him. And as we think about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, our hope is in him. Now, let me move on really quickly. Um, and by the way, I do want to say this, that Martin Luther, um, in commenting on this passage, said that this faith of Noah was glorious. I love that. He said, this is glorious faith. Why? Because it lasted 100 years. That's how long it took him to build the boat. I'd probably get through... I'm a sanguine. You put me there starting to build a boat? Give me a week. A hundred years? Are you kidding me? That's a complex project. I'd have to Google, how do you build an ark? I don't know. The reality is he stuck with it for a hundred years. Martin Luther said that's glorious faith because he stuck with it. It was glorious faith because as he preached, and Peter calls Noah a, pr a preacher of righteousness, he wasn't just building a boat. He was going around telling people, you better turn because God is going to judge the world. And he was so intense about it that people turned him off completely and didn't listen to him. And Noah's faith was sorely tried by the mockery. So we see what faith in God really is. It's intense conviction inside based on who the God of the universe is. It's taking God at his word. Secondly, and more briefly, I want you to note what faith conveys to unbelievers because this is crucial, because it affects us uh, so much as well. Verse 7b says this, in Noah's faith, by this he what? He condemned the world. His faith condemns the world. What, what does that mean? It simply means this, that when Noah began building the ark and talking about why he was building the ark, he expressed his faith in God. When people would say, Noah, what are you doing? When people would criticize what he was doing and mock him for what he was doing, he would say, all right, you guys, you have to understand this. God is, and God is righteous. God is holy, and you guys are living in complete rebellion. And let me tell you, I'm close to God. I'm not perfect, but I'm close to God. I can imagine what he was preaching and I can imagine him saying, you know, the reality is, is that God is going to judge you for your rebellion against the holy God of the universe. He's going to judge you. That's why I'm building the ark. It's my act of trust in him that he's going to judge you. And so the reality is, it, what you ought to do is help me build this ark. 
What you ought to do is repent of your sins and come and, and, and move back toward God and then get in this ark because he is coming. And I believe he's coming to judge. And with that faith, he condemned them and they felt, what did they feel? They felt condemned because Noah was taking God's side. God is righteous. He's going to judge sin, and he's coming to judge that, and that you have to turn away from your sin. And, 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 and that's, that's what happens today in our culture, even, when we're talking to somebody who doesn't know Christ, and we tell them about our faith in Christ. Uh, have, you ever shared, have you ever shared the gospel with somebody, uh, and you just told them why you're a Christian? They say, why do you follow Jesus? And you say, you know, I came to realize God is holy, and I, I am not. I'm a sinner, and I need a Savior. And so I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I trusted what he did on the cross, not what I'm doing. I can't earn my way to get to heaven. I'm not good enough. And, and they said, so that's what, you Christians, you guys are so judgmental. Have you ever, has anybody ever said that to you? You guys are so judgmental. You say, what did I say? I didn't condemn you. I just told you that I, I needed a savior. You see, whenever you and I tell someone else that we needed a savior, what's the message that is sent? They need a savior. This is why often we don't want to share our faith with our, our unbelieving friends because, because they think we're being condemning toward them. In a way we are, aren't we? But not outright. I'm not picking on you. I'm not saying I know what your particular sin. I don't know any of you. I can't read your minds. I don't know where you sinned this morning. But I know we're all sinners because the Bible says it. And so what Noah's faith conveyed to the rest of the world is condemnation. And we have to understand that in a sense, very real sense, uh, that is is what happens to us. But our gospel message is still the message we got to give people God is holy. This has never changed, right? God has never ceased to be holy. He's holy and righteous and just, but he loves us. And on the cross, he sent his son. Jesus walked into this mess. Don't you love the gospel? There's always bad news before the good news. And the bad news is I'm a sinner. And the good news is Jesus took my curse. He walked into the mess. He fulfilled the law of God perfectly for you and for me. And then he took our curse on the cross. And that's why the Bible says whoever believes in him will not perish but of everlasting life. And so what is faith? Faith is taking God at his word about your salvation too and trusting that Jesus Christ truly did pay the price for our sins. I was downtown at the Cathedral of St. Luke's. Have you ever been down at the Cathedral of St. Luke's? It's an Episcopalian church. It's the cathedral down there. Uh, maybe not. Right? I don't see any Episcopalians here. But my friend is now the, the pastor of that church, and he was giving me a tour. I, I mean, I, I'm not an Episcopalian. I'm a Presbyterian. You don't have to be a Presbyterian to go to heaven, but why take a chance? I want you to know. But I was down there getting a tour of the church, and I was looking up at the ceiling, and I kept looking up at the ceiling, and like this ceiling here, there were wood beams 
all along it, just like this, but a little differently. I said, he said, he, he, he was telling me about how the building of the church is to be a living illustration of the gospel. And so he looked, he, it's way, 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 way up there. I don't know how many feet it was up there. He said, what does that look like to you? And I kept looking at it. I kept looking at it. And I said, because there were beams like this, and between the beams, there were planks. It was all filled in. And I said, you know, you know what that looks like? That looks like Noah's Ark. He said, exactly. He said, exactly. By design. Every aspect of the cathedral is to illustrate the gospel. What? I said, the ark? He said, yes, Jesus Christ is our ark, for crying out loud. It's through faith in him where we are carried through the water, through the judgment. We're spared the judgment. It is only through faith in Christ. It's not by keeping the law. The law, listen, on the way here, you broke some laws. I know that. You know, human laws are complex, they're complicated, and they're contradictory. And somebody said to me the other day, a police officer said to me, there's so many laws out there, you broke three or four already today, you just don't even know it. You can't even keep human law, Pete. And then I thought, but I can't even keep divine law, not because it's complicated or, or, or imperfect, but because it's perfect and infinite. And only Jesus could do that. So aren't you glad that Noah speaks to us about faith, uh, how powerful it is. Uh, Jesus is the ark. And, and the truth is that Christian faith is, is, in a, even though it sends condemnation to those around us, it also sends hope. So let me end finally, not only with what faith uh, is, how faith is defined, and what faith conveys to the unbeliever, but what faith produces for believers. You ready? I'm almost done. Tim said I could preach for an hour and a half if I wanted to, but I'm almost done here. I want you to know. What faith produces for believers found in verse 17c, by faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world, here it is, you ready? And became an heir of the righteousness that comes through faith. Noah, by doing this, by taking God at his word, became, did you catch those words? Became an heir of righteousness, which comes through faith. Powerful. What does faith do for a believer? Faith for a believer is trusting in Christ, who is the ultimate heir. You know that in the book of Hebrews, uh, we're, we're going to be seeing here, not too long in the book of Hebrews, that, that uh, it's, well, actually, we already saw it in chapter 1. It says this, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Jesus is the heir of all things by virtue of his death, burial, and resurrection. He is the ultimate heir. He's the son. He's the second Adam, isn't he? Now, when you and I put our faith in the work of Christ, what do we become? We become heirs too. Heirs of righteousness, of the righteousness of Christ. 
So Noah, by virtue of taking God at his word and building the ark, become an heir, became an heir of righteousness. And we, by trusting in Jesus Christ, who is our ark, become heirs of righteousness. Faith is trust. It's firm. It's convicted. It's strong. Because it's built in somebody greater than us. It's built in Jesus and in the death, burial, and resurrection. Listen. A dead man did get up and walk. The cross is empty and so is the tomb. And our faith is in him. And that faith is so powerful because then we become the, the receivers of righteousness. So that means a couple of things. If you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're an heir of righteousness. That means God doesn't view you as a sinner. He views you as a son or a daughter. Guys, your, if you have put your faith in Christ, your identity, men, is as a deeply beloved son of the Most High God. Ladies, if you have put your faith in Christ, you are the beloved, forgiven daughters of the Most High God. Your identity, your identity is as a daughter, as a son who's received the heir, who's become an heir of righteousness. And so that means that God isn't angry at you. I don't know if you're here today to, to work off your sins. I got to go to church so God will love me. He can't love you any more than he already loves you in Jesus Christ. I, I don't know if you're here because you don't want God to be angry at you. He's not angry at you. He poured out all of his anger on his son, Jesus Christ. And so those who have faith in him are heirs of righteousness, beloved daughters and sons, and that changes our life completely. Doesn't it? I love what Paul said in Romans. He said in Romans, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all those who believe, for there's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Being justified as a gift, a gift uh, by his grace, through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in his blood. Jesus was the propitiation, which simply means he was the one who appeased the wrath of God. And I could never have done that, and neither could you, but he did. And so God is not angry. And so as we put our faith in Christ in the supremacy of the Son of God, we are heirs of righteousness, beloved daughters and sons. Now, how does this affect us? Well, let me, let, me, let me wrap it up real quickly by showing how this kind of a faith affects us every day of our life. If you are uh, that person who got drug here and you're not really a Christian yet, uh, this kind of faith shows you that Christians uh, don't have just a, a sort of a wishful thinking uh, kind of faith. We're not just hoping uh, in things. We believe because we have historically understood that there is a death, burial, and resurrection that took place, and there's an empty tomb in Jerusalem someplace. That Jesus got up and walked, and that the early church was founded on the resurrection of Christ. And, and, and so, if you're into religion or trying to be good to get God to love you, give it up. We're not about religion. We're not about religion because religion can never undo enough of the sins that we have. 
It can never accrue enough merit. It just can't be. So our, our, our advice to you is give up religion because we have. Give up religion. And that's what the heir, becoming an heir of righteousness does, to understand that faith is what is given to us. And then by way of application, uh, those of us who are Christians, uh, and we understand this kind of faith, this calls us to worship God, doesn't it? To understand that Ephesians says something powerful. It says, by grace you've been saved through faith, and what comes next? And that not of yourselves, it is the the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one should boast. And that says something absolutely astonishing. Not only is salvation a gift, but so is faith. Faith is a gift, because if we were spiritually dead, how could we work faith up all by ourselves? It's an amazing thing. God gives you the faith, you exercise the faith, he gives you the righteousness of Christ and makes you a daughter and a son. This ought to lead us to worship. This is why we worship the God who is. He is so great, so good, so gracious, so loving. To understand the faith of Noah and the faith that we have in Christ leads us to, to worship God in an amazing way. Um, but it also clarifies our identity, doesn't it? And so as we walk out of here today, in a very real sense, on Sunday morning, we're coming to church so that we could renew our identity. We worship to renew our covenant with God every week, but also to renew our identity. So as you walk out of here, I don't want anybody walking out of here who's put their faith in Christ saying, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. Or I don't have any worth. Are you kidding me? If you put your faith in Christ, an infinite sacrifice has been given for you, and that is where you gain your worth. Your identity is as a son and daughter of the king. Dearly beloved. I watched TV. I got the news this morning before I left, and there was a commercial for LifeLock. Right? You know what LifeLock is? It's identity protection. And uh, they said, don't let somebody steal your identity. We let people steal our identity every day. Don't let somebody take your identity. We let bosses and other people define us. Don't let anybody define you but the living God of the universe. And as you leave here today, remember how he views you. He views you through Christ, with the righteousness of Christ a beloved daughter and son. And as you go out and you face the world and the world doesn't like you and they don't accept you or you struggle with your own sense of insecurity, I do too at times, I come back to who I am in Christ. I am God's beloved son. You are God's beloved children. Live out of that identity. That's what faith reminds us of how to live. Guys, guys, I know sometimes following Jesus seems like well, you know, following Jesus is something just for the girls and the, and the kids, right? Sometimes men struggle to think that Christianity is masculine enough. Hear me on this. Our faith is a rational faith. Our faith is based in the work of Christ. It's historical. It's irrational to put your faith and trust in anybody less than him. So guys, you're... In, you're not losing your masculinity by trusting in Christ. You're actually trusting in somebody way stronger. 
That's why I like to watch MMA. I've got an MMA friend, young man, I've seen him fight. Now, I know it's probably not politically correct to talk about fighting in church, but I've seen him in the octagon, and in less than three minutes, he had a guy who was uh, at least eight inches taller than him. He had him down and submitted. So he's one of my close young friends. I keep him close. I admire strength. I admire Christ, whose strength is greater. And so this really is a powerful thing. And then the the last thing by way of application is that this kind of faith is what gives us the ability to move into the unknown. You have no idea what you're going to face today. Are you going to get rear-ended as you drive out of the parking lot today? I hope not. Are you going to get in an accident today? I hope not. Let me tell you what happened yesterday. One of my friend's sons was in a fatal car accident in Winter Springs yesterday. He was 22 years of age. And I texted my friend this morning, and I, I said, my heart breaks for you. And he said, I was not ready to lose my son. But God was ready to take him, and he was ready to go. The philosopher Soren Kierkegaard once said, life can only be understood backwards, but we have to live it forwards. How do you live life forward without knowing what's coming? Faith in the living God. Faith in the risen Christ. It's a faith that saves us, and it is a faith, a living faith, that enables us to live every day, not controlling the future, knowing that even though we can't trace God's hand, we can trace his heart. So the faith of Noah is radical, isn't it? And so those who put their faith in Christ, just like Noah, are radicals. I'm looking at a bunch of radicals. You go out of here this week and live like radicals, okay? I'll pray for you. You pray for me. Let me pray real quick right now before Deshaun comes. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for the gospel. And as we go out of here today, not knowing how, what we will face, we know that we can trust in you, our living, risen Savior. And we give you praise and honor for all that you've done for us. Be with my friends as we live life forward, trusting in you. For we pray in Jesus' strong name. And all God's people said, Amen. You ready?